Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second Sunday in Advent. Today, I will be reading from the passage from the prophet of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to dismiss our children as well at this time. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we ask for the Spirit's assistance in hearing the preached word this morning. Our Father, we come to you when we ask that your Spirit would be at work in our hearts, in our minds. Reveal to us yourself your will, and draw us in closer conformity to Jesus Christ. Be with us as we consider your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You version. Raise your hand if you know the version I'm talking about. You version. Yeah, y'all know. You version just announced the most shared and highlighted verse from 2022. This is a big announcement. Are you ready? It comes from Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You think about all that's gone on in the last couple of years, maybe even more specifically this year, and you hear that verse as the most highlighted and shared, are we really surprised? You think of the world in which we live and the challenges that we face. Are we surprised that the most shared and highlighted verse is Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. We're a scared society. We're an insecure people. And today, in our passage, we come to get to know a king who's scared out of his mind. He's an insecure man. And why is he so scared? It's because two strong kings with a lot of might have come together to take on his city. His life's at stake. His kingdom is at stake. 
Not only this, as a son of David, his heritage, his royal line was at stake because each two kings wanted to come, not just subject them, but overthrow him and put in another king in his place. King Ahaz is scared. He knows that if he doesn't get help, he's dead meat. And in the midst of his fears and insecurities, if you go back a few verses into chapter 7, you'll hear what the Lord says through Isaiah the prophet. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. He tells him. And then at the end, a, little, a few verses later, in verse 9 of chapter 7, he tells him not just to not fear, but he tells him, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Don't fear, have faith. In the midst of threats, in the midst of insecurity, in the midst of his fears, this king has a crisis of belief. That's what Henry Blackaby calls these kinds of moments. A crisis of belief. He's scared out of his mind. He sees the threat. And yet he hears at the very same time the Lord's promise to him and the Lord's call to not be afraid. And now he finds himself in a moment, in this crisis of belief. And the question that he has to ask himself, and the question that we might ask ourselves in a similar moment, is this. In the face of our fears, in what or in whom do we trust to save us? In the face of our fears, in what or in whom do we trust to save us? And in the midst of his crisis of faith, the Lord speaks to him again. We see in verse 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. Think for a moment, as he's shaking in his boots, the graciousness of such a command. The graciousness of such a command. This is God graciously taking the initiative to come to Ahaz and say, I know you're scared out of your mind. I know the deck is stacked against you. But I've made a promise to you. So please, ask me for a sign so that I might confirm that promise to you. That's really the way a sign functions. right? A sign is often an event, miraculous or ordinary, that confirms the promise, according to Oswald. It's a way to confirm the promise that God is making. And so God, in his grace, in the midst of Ahaz's fears, he comes to Ahaz and he says, please, ask me for a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol and high as the heavens. Basically saying, you can ask me anything. There's no limit to the sign that you can ask of me. So ask. Ask. And we see what Ahaz says. He says in verse 12, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not 
put the Lord to the test. Oh, there he goes. You know, Jesus said this too, right? In Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, in this temptation that Satan gives him in the wilderness, Jesus quotes that very verse, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Ahaz musters up as much false spirituality that he can. He even starts quoting Scripture. He's quoting the very same Scriptures that Jesus quotes. Oh, look at Ahaz. He is such an example of what Christ-like living is. And so he puts this answer. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. And on the surface, this might seem like an act of piety, but what we really see is this is actually the opposite. We understand what's going on behind the scenes, and you look back at uh, 2 Kings, you know that he's already making plans. He's already deciding his course of action. And so uh, I think that Oswald rightly calls this an act of wearisome hypocrisy that comes from sheer unbelief. Ahaz does not trust in the Lord. Ahaz has uh, rejected this command because he does not trust in the Lord. He's quoting scripture. He's hiding behind some some misunderstanding of what uh, Deuteronomy 6 is actually getting at in order to not obey the Lord. These are the words of a man who's made up his mind. He's hiding behind a false sense of spirituality, even behind Scripture, to justify his predetermined actions because he does not trust in his God. I'm sure none of us can identify with that whatsoever. Have you ever done that? Have you ever disobeyed or the Lord or maybe convinced yourself of some uh, course of action, kind of pitting one scripture against another, the Lord's word against the Lord's word, in such a way to actually just do what you really want to do? And you've convinced yourself so much that it was the right thing to do that you believe that this is the best course of action? You ever do this? You ever hear somebody else do that? Maybe some silly examples, but these are some things that I've heard over the years. Understanding that we're called to invest in others. You say, why don't you invest in others? Well, I don't have time for that. Because the Lord has called me to invest in my kids. Some would say amen to that to the parents. Are you called, parents, to invest in your kids? Who are the primary disciplers in your kids' lives? parents amen those are that's a true thing fathers mothers raise your children up in the fear and admonition of the lord amen but man how often we hide behind that to neglect our duty to care for one another in the local church you ever heard that how about this one why don't you give to the local church i don't have the margin for that the Lord's not called me to be is, the Lord has called me to be a good steward and to stay out of debt. The Lord called you to go in immense amounts of debt 
especially consumer debt going crazy, just to give crazy generously without reference to your obligations? Has the Lord called you to do that? Absolutely not. Right? We, 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 we make those kinds of commitments and we follow through on those. And yet we hide behind paying down debts and maybe even saving for some future. Some, because that's really what the Lord wants. He wants me to save for my future. That's true. But what about the responsibility to invest in local church ministry and mission? How about this one? Why so unwilling to serve as needs arise? Like something happens, somebody's need comes up. And so easily, because we have this idea, and it's true, that the Spirit of God has uniquely gifted each one of us for particular uh, um, roles in the body of Christ. We can look at somebody's need and just simply say, that's not my gift. Right? When you had the opportunity to maybe serve and care, maybe it's not your gift. Maybe it drains your bucket. Maybe it doesn't fill you to serve somebody on a Saturday morning. And yet that need that was presented to you was the Lord's prompting to sacrifice and lay down your life for the benefit of another. These are silly examples, maybe. Maybe things I've wrestled with in my own heart over the years. But I think this is something that we do. We respond in a way that reveals our tendency to trust not in the Lord, but in ourselves Matter of fact, we will trust in anything else other than him. That's what we know happens. 2 Kings 16 tells us Ahaz fails the test of faith. He reveals that he trusts in himself. He trusts in his own diplomatic skills. He makes a few phone calls. He exercises his, uh, his effort to, to kind of leverage his connections. And he calls on the king of Assyria. Hey, these two guys are going to kick my butt. Can you help me out? Need a little help. That's what Ahaz does. He says no because he does not trust in the Lord. And that wearies the Lord. And it wearies the people under his care. Look at what it says. And he, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? This response from Ahaz tr literally tries the patience of God. God is being so patient with Ahaz and his people, and yet he continues to try it in his unbelief. So he doesn't ask. So, so much for a sign, I guess. Ahaz isn't going to ask, so no sign. Just a promise. Right? Wrong. Not quite. Verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Did you hear that? You may not ask for a sign, but the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz, you may not ask for a sign. You may not trust me, but I'm going to give a sign anyway. You will know that I am faithful to my covenant promises and that you will be safely delivered from all your enemies and all your threats and from all your fears when the virgin conceives and bears a son. You may not ask for a sign, but I'm going to give you one. That's an amazing thing to think about, right? A lack of faith 
in God is a true tragedy. It's a sad tragedy to see with Ahaz. As we think about our own lives, it's a sad tragedy, a lack of faith. God commands us and calls us to trust in Him. He even calls Ahaz here to ask for a sign that would confirm His promise. And he says, no, what a sad tragedy unbelief is. But unbelief is no obstacle in the way of God keeping His promises. Amen? Unbelief is no no obstacle in the way of the Lord being faithful to His Word. If the Lord sets out to confirm His promise, He will do so. Amen? And so we see that He says, I will provide a sign, and it will be a virgin-born son who will signal God's presence, God's salvation, and God's judgment. And that's what we see being unpackaged in the rest of these verses, verses 14 through 17. The coming of Emmanuel signals God's presence. How do we know that? The virgin-born son will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Central to his promises and intentions with his people throughout all of redemptive history. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell with you. I will be with you. I will draw near to you. This birth, the birth of this child, and the naming of this child would underscore the fact that God is with his people. Amen? God is with his people. The birth of this child means that, that God is with his people. And implicit here for Ahaz, implicit here for Judah, the people which Ahaz ruled over, and implicit here for us is that in the face of our fears, in the face of threats, we do not place our hope and trust in ourselves, our own scheming, our own planning, our own efforts. We do not place our trust in ourselves. We do not place our trust in anyone or anything else. We place our faith, hope, and trust in Emmanuel, the God who is with us. In the face of our fears, we can trust in Emmanuel, for he is with us. Amen? And he is with us to save us. The coming of Emmanuel doesn't just signify God's presence, but the coming of Emmanuel signifies God's salvation. Look at what the text goes on to say. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. This child will be born. This child will grow and mature and develop. Before he comes to the age in which he knows how to discern between good and evil, understood to be about the age of 12, the land of those two kings would be deserted. You see what he's saying there. He's promising to deliver Ahaz and Judah from these two threats. They'll be dealt with. The threat will be removed. I'm going to save. 
you from these enemies. That is what is being told here. Right? It won't be long after the birth of this son where those two nations, those two kings, and their land will be deserted. I will do something to save you. In the face of our fears, we can trust in Emmanuel, for he is God with us to save us. Signals our salvation. But not only that, the coming of Emmanuel signals God's judgment. You say, where do you see that? Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days have not yet come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And so on the heels of promising deliverance and salvation, we see that the Lord through Isaiah is also promising that he will bring judgment upon Ahaz and the people of Judah for their unbelief and their lack of faithfulness to him. Right? The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your fathers house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Those were difficult days when the northern kingdom was stripped from its land. An act of God's just judgment on the northern kingdom. He's telling Ahaz and Judah, I'm going to bring that upon you and your people in your house. Judgment is coming. There's an interesting twist here in the passage that you may not notice that we can't, uh, we can't miss. That we see the king of Assyria was the very person that Ahaz went to to be saved from these two kings. It's an interesting thing to think about. So Ahaz, in, his th- in the midst of this threat, in the midst of his fears, he thinks, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll call Assyria. They're the big tough guys that will help me deal with these two dudes, these two kings. Instead of trusting in the Lord, instead of trusting in his promise, Ahaz comes up with his own plan. The king of Assyria, he'll protect me. He'll be with me in the midst of my in the midst of these threats. And what the Lord is actually saying is because you turned and trusted in the king of Assyria, I will actually act in such a way that will use Assyria to bring about your very judgment. Isn't that interesting? Oswald says, whatever a man trusts in, the place of God will one day turn to devour him. It's an interesting thing to think about. This shows the fruit and the folly of self-sufficiency and unbelief in the face of our fears. This shows that that as, as we turn away from the Lord and we turn to other replacements for God, for safety and security, that if we show continually unbelief in relationship to God, that judgment will come, and it will come at the hand of the very thing that we trusted in, in the place of God. Ray Ortland said this, it's as if a mouse was being attacked by two rats. 
And the mouse asks the cat for help. Does that make sense? The mouse is being attacked by two rats. And the mouse goes to the cat for help. Silly. Foolish. In the end, we know what would happen to the mouse. In the end, we know what happened to Judah and Ahaz. In the end, we know what happens to us when we place our faith, hope, and trust in something other than the Lord, His promise, and Emmanuel, the one who is with us to save us. The coming of Emmanuel, it signals God's presence. He signals God's salvation, and he signals God's judgment. And so the question we ask now is, did Emmanuel ever come? Did the sign ever come? Was the child ever born to signify and confirm these promises? It's interesting, there's a lot of conversation and debate as to who this child actually was in the short run, in the life and rule of Ahaz, and in these days of Judah. Some think that it is Isaiah's son in chapter 8. You could take a look at that narrative after. Some speculate this, that, and the other. The truth is we don't really have 100% clear uh, uh, understanding of how this was initially fulfilled. But we do know what the ultimate fulfillment of this promise is. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the God who is present and who brings salvation and judgment. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Advent remembers and celebrates. Matthew told us in chapter 1 right, of his gospel that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, that Jesus is is Emmanuel, that Jesus is God with us to save us, that Jesus confirms all of God's promises to us. It is Christ Jesus. Matthew said at this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In quoting Isaiah, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is Jesus. So as we tell you in the, in, the, in the face of your fears to trust in Emmanuel, we are telling you in the face of all that threatens you, in the face of every insecurity that you have, trust in Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us to save us. That's what Christmas is all about. And all the, 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 the gifts that we give and the things that we buy and the generosity that we represent in all the tradition and the fun, let's not miss out on the greatest gift that was ever given by God, the, the virgin-born Son of Mary, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God who is with us to save us. It is not Assyria. It is not anything else. And it's not just from temporal threats. Right? The, the, the day-to-day concerns that we have. He has delivered us 
and is with us as we face our greatest enemies. And that would be Satan, sin, and death. It is Jesus who has come. His name means the Lord saves. And Matthew goes on to tell us that he was named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Amen? From their sins. I don't know what sin you're struggling with today. I don't know what you wrestle with. But I know you wrestle, and I do too with you. I know the the battle that we face each and every day and the threats and the temptations that come at us. I want you to hear today that in Christ Jesus, God is with you to save you. Amen? He's with you to save you. And we can trust in Him. It's Jesus who gives us the hope and the assurance in the face of our fears. So please, this morning, trust in Jesus. Don't trust in anything else. As you deal with fear, threat, and insecurity in this world, trust in Emmanuel. Trust in Jesus. When your spouse is in the hospital, trust in Jesus. When you receive a cancer diagnosis, trust in Jesus. When people you love clearly make horrible, unwise decisions, trust in Jesus. When someone near to you wrestles with an addiction, trust in Jesus. When a catastrophic event disrupts your financial security, trust in Jesus. When a major mistake or a collection of ongoing mistakes trashes your reputation at work and maybe makes, uh, leaves you unemployed, trust in Jesus. When it seems like you have lost so much and the best days are behind you, trust in Jesus. When you come to a keen awareness of your sinfulness in God's holy presence, trust in Emmanuel. Trust in Jesus. When your sins are clearly the cause of so much discord and disruption in the relationships that you value most. Trust in Emmanuel. Trust in Jesus. When Satan puts the constant squeeze on you in intense temptation, trust in Emmanuel. Trust in Jesus. And when your body seems to constantly deteriorate and you age and you know that you're closer and closer every moment to death, trust in Jesus. Trust in Emmanuel. He's with us to save us. In the face of your fears, friend, do not trust in yourself. Don't trust in your work. Don't trust in your effort. Don't trust in your connections. Don't trust in your planning and scheming. Trust in Emmanuel. Trust in Jesus. Don't turn 
to the idols of our culture. Don't turn to the things of this world that promise you temporal relief, but in the end will bring about your destruction. Don't trust in it. Don't lean into it. Don't rely upon it. In the face of all that threatens us, in the face of our fears, we could trust in Emmanuel. For He is with us to save us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise You for these ancient promises. We praise You for Your grace and initiative to reveal Yourself personally. To provide a promise and then the fulfillment of that promise in Christ Jesus that you will be with your people to save them from their sins. It's in Christ that we have such hope and such deliverance and salvation. It's because of Christ that we have no need to fear. It's because of Christ that we can walk with assurance that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, that his hand, his arm is not too short to save, that there is no one like him in glory and power and love in all the earth, that we have every reason to lean in, trust in, rely upon Christ Jesus as our King and Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here today that is scared, I pray you reassure them. If there's anyone here today that has relied upon themselves or the things of this world, I pray that you would turn them and call them to repentance and that they would see the, the security that is only found in Christ and they would run into his arm by faith. Above all, we praise you for Christ Jesus. He is our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.